Welcome to Siblinghood of Recovery. Hello, beautiful recovery community. How are you? Did you have a good summer? I know I did. Lots of downtime and focus on rejuvenation. And a lot of, you know, I attended my meetings and uh, back in regular therapy with a beautiful person I haven't seen for a couple of years and she's amazing. So yeah, it was good. Good to take some time off and rejuvenate and refocus. And this season, I'm going to get into parents learning and educating themselves and doing their own work. And uh, that's not easy. <laughs> it's hard, hard work. But I'm also going to give you some incredible resources. And you know that the focus of this journey is share knowledge, right? Whether your child is facing the challenges of addiction, substance use disorder, or trauma recovery, however we can show up can be the difference between passing on intergenerational trauma or creating a space for healing for the entire family, but most of all for us. Because when we become healthier individuals, it creates a way of life for the whole family unit. And the beauty of a recovery journey is that it really is unique to all of us. So as a parent heals, it's going to be different from how a child heals, right? And we all know some of us embrace recovery very quickly. Others, it takes time. They're on a different schedule. That's okay. It's okay. And the greatest thing is you're listening. You're curious. So this season, I want to bring in experts in recovery. I want to bring in individuals who own practices or individuals who work at recovery facilities. I'll also then tap into some parents who I've, I've walked this journey with, who I think are the bomb. I, I think they're warrior parents in really looking at themselves. You know, they don't come in and say, hey, can you fix my kid? They come in and say, wow, what's happened? What's going on? What can we do? And I want to continue my focus on aspects of self-care. How do we break intergenerational trauma? How do we recognize enmeshment? How do we create a non-codependent environment? And when we start asking ourselves those questions, we start to create that environment that so many of us want. And it becomes a beautiful, yet hard, but a beautiful journey. So Let's get started. This is my interview with Mike McGuire of McGuire Counseling and Psychotherapy. He is the founder of the Ascend and Aspire programs. Bear with us. This is the first recording, first podcast. He's not in his office with his usual podcast equipment. He's on um, a regular laptop, but I did the best I could with the audio. I know you're going to enjoy this. There's so much information in here. So I put everything in the show notes and thank you to Jasmine Gold for Supernova, the transition song into the interview. It is so good to be back, and I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Hi, Mike McGuire. I'm so excited for you to be here at Siblinghood of Recovery. We know each other through my recovery journey. And I, you are one of the solid steps that my son and I took and 
I look at you as part of the foundation of what we've built. For having me. You're welcome. Now, go ahead and just um, tell everybody who you are and frame it. I mean, as you said, I'm Mike McGuire. I'm the owner of McGuire Counseling and Psychotherapy. And I think the part that sort of was probably the most important on your journey and your family's journey uh, is also the founder of the Ascend program, um, which is a very targeted and like specifically built program for teens in the recovery journey. Sorry, my wife just walked up. Hi, Annie. Uh, uh, Annie also um, works with us on that um, program, the Ascend program. And actually, uh, I don't know if I told you or not, we did recently just hire a third person, Aaron Williams, um, another mental health counselor, uh, who's been an awesome addition to the program. Excellent. Uh, What we do with, with that, well, I guess I would say I do individual family. Uh, I work a lot in trauma uh, and developmental trauma using NARM and EMDR with adolescents and adults. But the Ascend program kind of speak to that is a combination of individual family and group therapy, all aimed at getting a teen to like look ahead at their future and start um, building what's going to be their young adulthood. Yeah. I know you were the first person that introduced me to NARM. And uh, right now on my season one, there's several episodes that mention NARM and explain the power that it had in, in my journey. And EMDR continues to have a, an impact in my son's journey. Oh, so, is he doing that? Yeah, he is. Mm, that's yeah. a, that's an incredible therapy modality. I was talking to someone about that yesterday and like, the speed in which EMDR usually works is just incredible. Yes. Uh, now I, I explain it. To... Explain it for the person who's like, okay, this is an acronym. Just high level. Uh, if you can't. Eye movement desensitization and reprocessing is a therapy modality where we use bilateral stimulation, usually with the eyes like this, mm. sometimes with um, tapping or these little um this little device that vibrates left, right, left, right. Um, But what we know is that bilateral stimulation activates the part of the the brain that processes information. And so Mm. by adding this bilateral stimulation or BLS, we can get therapy gains in a much quicker manner. So I was using it yesterday and somebody was just, (laughs) we'll say, stressed about... uh, an interpersonal issue with a uh, loved one. And so as they're kind of just talking and processing and sort of going through this story, I, I put these little buzzies in his hand. And um, and also like, I'm kind of jumping in here and there and kind of helping direct him and kind of focus him in on not getting too off target, if you will. But like, you can just see him processing and starting to put it together and taking his part in it and looking at it through the lens of, you know, a third party looking in and stuff like that. And just very quickly in that one hour time, you know, he comes out the other side with a new perspective on it, which is awesome. just awesome. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. Yeah. The value of taking a step back and, and, and the blame, probably the self blame, right? You're extracting that and looking at the situation completely differently. 
And, you know, that leads into, uh, I mean, you introduced me to the 12 step program, right? I'll never forget, man, the moment you had that blue book, right? And I'm like, ah, all over the place, chaos, chaos, chaos. And you're like, open up a page and you read about chaos. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it's man. all, it's all in there. It's yeah. all in there. That, that, that was the AA big book. And like that, that, that book is amazing. It, it is. was written like a thousand years ago, 1935. And which is a thousand years in like uh teen language. Uh, but the, uh, uh, the book is so on point with just everything to do with addiction and alcoholism and even just life in general. I, I find myself quoting that book with people that have no substance use yeah, issues. On the recovery. Acceptance and, and yeah. But back to the EMDR though, the funny thing about connecting that with the, the, the big book and chaos and I'm an ACA now, by the way, I don't know if you know that. So, which is pretty intense Great program. Oh, it's awesome. It's brutal, <laughs> but awesome. But that chaos that when somebody's living it, I'm assuming that the EMDR allows the person to take a, a more reserved view of it. You're up a little bit higher and kind of looking down. Is that, is that kind of what happens? Yeah, I'll give you another example because that other one was a little obscure. So um, a lot of times uh, EMDR we're using for just direct trauma or shock trauma. So in a case, say, of um, childhood sexual trauma, that person's often coming in the room, you know, they feel like it's their fault or that somehow they had some kind of role in it. Mm -hmm. um, and as they're doing the work, they start looking at it. Well, let me say that differently. So the way our brains work, our memories, when we access them, are still, we're still thinking or, or, or our viewpoint is still through the lens of the age we were when we made that memory. So let's say somebody had something awful happen to them and they were eight years old. Well, when they think back to that, they're still processing that through the lens of an eight-year-old. And like, whatever the, you know, perpetrator told them, keep this a secret or don't let anybody know, stuff like that. Like they're still kind of thinking of it like that. <clears throat> and with EMDR, they begin to look at it again there. That's the R part, the reprocessing part. They're looking at it now through the lens of an adult and they start to say like, oh my God, like, wait a minute. I was just a little kid. Like, I was totally taken advantage of like, yeah. I'm okay. that was a sick person. And, and what's incredible is 30 years of being affected by that trauma. And sometimes in one, two, maybe, maybe three sessions, they stand up and walk out and never think about it again. That's and awesome. That is freedom. That is freedom. Freedom. That's such a good way to put it because just releasing that is huge because like, I think what it's easy to forget is the way that trauma trauma affects the way, I'll say, the lens through which we look at the world. And 100%. so when something happens when we're young, you know, like for that, for example, like everybody might be seen as like, you know, a bad guy or um, threatening, dangerous. And like, imagine if. Imagine the difference of how you would act navigating the world if everybody's a dangerous threat versus some people are good, some people are bad, and I just need to kind of pay attention. And I trust Absolutely. in myself to be able to do that. Absolutely. Even just that. Like, if I don't trust in myself to be able to do that, like, it's going to affect my relationships. And that's what we see. 
hundred percent. And I know you haven't listened to my podcast, but when you, when you listen to how I got here, you'll realize how much this is hitting home. The, another aspect of intergenerational trauma, right? That goes into so much of what the parents carry forward to their kids. And the kids never had that experience, but yet they're living the repercussions of that lens that you just described, right? So Norm, also please, if you can, another high level, that therapy modality. Wow. Yeah. I mean, Norm, the neuroaffective relational model is a therapy modality. It's a talk therapy. Like we don't do any like eye movements or anything. We're just processing and talking. It is a structured way to navigate the therapeutic process. NARM and the, I think, theories that we're kind of thinking of when we're using NARM allow us to look at a person's life as a whole. And it comes back to that thing we were talking about just a second ago with like looking at how our former experiences affect um, the way we see the world and the way we kind of show up in the world with everything. Narm's looking a lot at like the things that we kind of take for granted or like the lens again through which we see the world. And it, it says like, well, maybe, well, I wouldn't say even maybe it's saying that it's definitely our lens is definitely affected by what we've been through and the things in our childhood that were important to us. You know, for example, I was talking to somebody last night about how, you know, when I'm first seeing a new client, I'm going to ask them at some point, very, Typical therapist question of like, what was your childhood like? And uh, pretty much everyone shows up with like, yeah, you know, it was really normal, pretty regular childhood. And then kind of go on to tell me all these things that seem very not normal to me. However, it was their normal. Their baseline is what they experienced. The baseline. That's exactly mm-hmm. it. Yep. And so uh, it's really interesting because like due to the things that they went through it affects the way they see the world and the way they show up and the way they react in different situations and like heck yeah that affects their relationships and so in NARM we're looking at trying to correct that and just helping somebody get past all of that and just be able to show up in the world as their authentic self whatever that is you know it's not on me to tell someone how to do that it is just like how do you how do you want to show up in the world what would be comfortable and, Absolutely. Uh, it's complicated after that, but like there's a fantastic book and uh, a new book just came out last week or I guess two weeks ago now. But the original book is by Dr. Lawrence Heller and it's Heller. called Healing Developmental Trauma. The opening of the book says, you know, hey, we, we started and we were going to write this book for clinicians. We finished and realized like, you know what? Anyone can pick this up and get a lot out of it. So I recommend that book for anyone. Uh, and then the new book's called A Practical Guide for Healing Developmental Trauma. And that's more, I think, for clinician. NARM changed how I see the world not only as a therapist and an EMDR therapist, which is what I originally had uh, trained in and was my original modality, but um, NARM also changed the lens through which I personally see the world and has affected in a positive way every relationship that I have. So I highly recommend that as well. Yeah. For any- I will definitely put links in the show notes for that. And in season one, I had a couple of episodes on that. I completely agree with you on the, how I now see the world differently, right? And 
to go even deeper, there's the survival styles that relate to how that childhood was lived as normal, right? Because that first baseline, the kid had to survive that baseline if it wasn't, you know, the average Jane or Joe's, Joe's um, experience. So now great summary of how you approach the therapy. I do, before we get into like the parent focus, because that's, that's my mission, right? When you have these therapeutic overlays, addiction is like almost the entry card, but it really isn't the premise of how you're talking to everybody. Cause I know from my experience, you know, I came to you because of the, uh, of an addiction challenge and quickly realized that was a symptom. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, especially in a teen, you know, a teen's just like, you were talking a second ago about like the strategies that we use to navigate the world and like, that's everything. And, and that's not even like for like traumatized people. That's everybody, everybody. We're all figuring out how to survive the world that we're in. And, and, and that goes back to the very um, kind of hunter gatherer brains that we have, in, you know, technology has advanced rapidly, but I mean, human evolution has happened over a long, 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 long time. And like the way that we're living our lives now is like a blip and it's a little dot on the timeline. It's it's like we've, we've just arrived at these changes. And so we're all trying to learn how to navigate and, and live in the world that we're in. And these strategies are helping us do that in some way. So when we talk about substance abuse and like using that for an escape or a way to fit in or whatever, like there's so many different things. Like the point is that um, when we can start to address those, like if it's a team trying to fit in and that's what their friends are doing, well, what if they had a way to fit in otherwise? You know, what about, you know, what's happened in that person's life that like, they needed to do that in the first place. Like it just goes on and on and on. But yeah, I, uh, I love how you commented on like, that's totally a symptom of something there. And that almost always is the case. It is even in, even with adults wanting to fit in that part, that part of the adolescent brain, that's a normal, right. That's a normal grouping. If you go into evolutionary, we, the community aspect, right. And then there's that roll of the dice where some kids have that genetic disposition where, you know, their friends are trying beer for a little bit, but that genetic disposition takes it completely different. And I, we can't go into that now either. Cause that's a whole other neuroscience you know, thing. It's funny you mention that. Cause like that keeps happening for me. I don't, I don't know if you see it. We're like, I'll like start to want to talk about something. And then I pause. Cause it's just like, it's like so big. How long do we have? Right. <laughs> I know. It's like, okay. You know, yeah. that's my story, you know, and I often joke that there's so many alcoholics in my family tree that there's a car wrapped around it. And the idea is just like, you know, this, a lot of this stuff is genetic and it's passed down. And, and um, you know, in that case, we're talking about like, how do members of my family, or at least some, some members of my family process alcohol and Mm. when we look at that like you know 
the men in my family have a tendency to really, really like alcohol. And we can drink a lot more than the other people sitting at the bar and we can keep going. And we have a tendency of continuing to keep going, even when it's like not making sense anymore. Like it's, it's a strange thing. And I think it's something that is hard to process or comprehend until you like really study and do a lot of research. But like in addiction of any kind, we are going completely against the like instinctual drive to stay alive. You know, I was an opiate addict and it's like, here I am. This could definitely kill me. And it's not serving me really any kind of like, it's not serving me any purpose in terms of like getting stronger or healthier or you know, those kind of like evolutionary needs for survival. And yet here I am and I keep doing it and I keep doing it and I keep doing it and eventually would have died from it. Luckily, I found the 12 steps and was able to walk out of that. But yeah, it, it, addiction is complicated and it, and it just seems, and I guess it absolutely is insane. You know? It is. It is. And I want to, I want to acknowledge because there's an interview that I had with, uh, Susan Osterman. She's part of Mothers with All Passive Recovery. And that's opi- much more opioid centered. And mm. when you say addiction is complicated, I'm definitely 100% focused on therapy and 12 steps, right? She brings to light the fact that every person's recovery is different. And she did lose her son. She realized after she lost him that there could have been a different way to handle things. So, you know, I do want to acknowledge the people that whoever is listening, they're going through a hard time that 12 steps isn't the only solution out there. It's, it's like a combination of therapy and communication and experience and connection. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons you hit home so well. I know with my son, because that connection, you, you were not talking about this process coming from, hey, here's a book to read. Here's the thing. <clears throat> While all of our recoveries look uh, and are different, they tend to have certain commonalities. And these were the things that I was drawing from in designing the Ascend program. And with my lovely wife, we're actually celebrating our one year anniversary on Congratulations. Sunday. Congratulations. So we're excited. You know, it was like with me the whole way and, and like what we were looking at, <clears throat> like we have your traditional like 12 step in AA. And so it's kind of holding that out there and going like, what is it exactly about this that works? Like, yeah, is it like magic? And if you do these 12 steps with a sponsor, it's magic. Well, no, <laughs> it's really important. And we need to do those 12 steps with a sponsor because of what we learn and how we change. But it's not magic. We have to do that work. So what we see is this sense of like community, togetherness, looking at ourselves and being willing to see like what's not working. And more importantly, like what is my part in it? Like, what am I doing? Even if I'm in this dysfunctional system, what's my part in it? And also like being willing to make the things that we have done wrong, right? And I would say finally, attaching to something bigger than us. You know, I think that's a whole nother topic we could talk about all day. I think the short version of that is like, if I'm going to go about this recovery journey and make all these changes and be willing to give up getting high, which by the way, I really, really like getting high, but man, it's messing my life up and I know it. 
I have to believe that this work is going to do something. It's going to count. And my life is going to get better. And so when it comes to that higher power thing, that can even just start as basic as like, I believe that if I do the next right thing, good things will happen. So with the Ascend program, like earlier I was telling you, we're doing individual family and group therapy. And so like in group, we focus on that togetherness. How can we all come together to sort of rise up and out of this and like notice that like we can still have fun and enjoy our lives, right? In family, it's like, you know, that's where we can begin to like start having the conversations of like, what have I, how have I affected the rest of the people in my tribe with this addiction? You know, an in, in individual is starting to look at like, how do I start making the personal changes and, and like look at where have circumstances in my life led me to eventually end up down this path. And so that's the Ascend program. But like even speaking to like other forms of recovery, like sometimes people get really involved in religion. Well, like look at the comparisons to that in 12 step, right? Every Sunday they go to church. That's your home group. You probably are like involved in small groups or something like that, like charity work or whatever. Like that's your like regular meetings, right? If you have somebody you talk to every day, that's your sponsor. If you're connected to the people in the church, like those are your fellowship, right? All these things, while they can look very different, they have all the same components and that's what works. And that's what we know works. Yeah, it does. And this is a good segue to lead to the parents. Cause one of the first things that I, well, I found you through Al-Anon and okay. the, the parents that were there equally were going through what I was going through. And as you know, you talk to other parents, you say, okay, I'm at this stage, I'm at that stage. And yeah, some parents are like, God bless you, because I've been there. And I'm, I'm glad I'm not there anymore. <laughs> you know, because that's a crazy part. And then you have other parents who are like, I'll go there with you. I don't know about this either. And as you look at the parent part of that parent coming to you, saying, hey, I, I've heard about your program. How would you bring a parent in and what are you looking for and what do you see a lot of times? Wow. Yeah. Well, I know that's something that you're really big on and we've talked about a lot. It's like the work that the parent needs to do. 100%. Usually not my initial selling point. No. (laughs) We're going to talk about um, how... You're going to have to work your butt off. (laughs) (laughs) That that we have to kind of bring in and like... With time, we can do that. But um, uh, to directly answer your question, it's like, as we look at something that a lot of times a parent hasn't even thought of, like they're saying, like, my kid's using, he's in trouble, the school's pissed off, the cops are pissed off, you know, my husband's pissed off, my wife's pissed off, you know, whatever it is, like, uh, a lot of emotion, big emotion that they're showing up with. And it's like, like, sitting down and going like, hey, listen, let's figure out how your child, your teen, as well as you can have a happy, nice life that you deserve and that you should have. Like, and usually people are like, okay, cool. I'll I'll get on board with that. And then we start looking at ways to do that. This juncture, I think, is where, speaking to your point of like, it's going to look a little bit different for everyone because then we have to figure out like, what's your individual story how have you gotten here what do we need to do to help you and like usually 
starting out is a lot of time on the phone with that parent and just really getting to know the like individual circumstances. Cause like I was saying before, while the same general things work to help everybody, we do have to figure out individually, like how to set that up in a way that it's going to work and getting the barriers of, uh, out of the way that would make it to not work. But as we start, it's usually within family therapy that it begins to come out and the parent begins to see like there's work I have to do too, especially in times where like the teen's getting well and like they're not, you know, Yeah. because oh, it's man. like that's not working anymore. I have an awesome example for you, actually. I, I think this would be appropriate for here. Had a teen a while back who quit using. In fact, they quit using and like they were hanging out with new people, like everything was starting to really seem different. However, every time that team would come home, the mom's like, you smell like weed. I think you're high. Like take a drug test, da da da. Mm -hmm. And like this kept going on and on and on. And it kind of all crescendoed into this family session where the team's just like, dude, like I'm clean. Like, why don't you trust me or why don't you believe me? And um, what we found is that that parent, what it was, I mean, you, it was trauma, right? From the past of that teen coming home and saying, I'm clean, I'm clean, I'm clean, and then never being clean. Like they had, they couldn't believe it, right? But what we had to talk about in that session was like, one of two things is going to happen. Either the parent is going to start getting well and meet the teen up here, or the parent's not going to get well and the teen's going to come meet them yes. down here and go back to the old behavior. Like, that system is facilitating substance use. And so we have to change that whole system in order to like keep that team, yeah. you know, on the right track. It's the, it's the changing of the system, a hundred percent changing of the system. And when you're telling that story, I'm imagining, you know, that trust, right? Here's the funny thing about my oldest son's recovery is I don't check my youngest son's grades anymore. I don't check it. I'm not in there. And I'm like, dude, this is your deal. Cause I'm not going to school. A month after I stopped checking his grades, A's and B's. He's a sharp kid. He's a very willful kid too. It's surprising. I know. Right. <laughs> but you know, how about that? How about that? How about that? And I won't. And, I, and I've told him. So he's in a football program. I'm not going to mention it, but the coach is building an, an incredible team. And he said uh, during a parent meeting, parents, let your kids work out their stuff first. Give them the shot to work out their stuff. So I do. I'm excited about that being said in an athletic meeting. And this is a mantra that you've had for quite some time. And we have this overreaching. Um, you know what a Karen is, right? Oh, yeah, of course. I know. it's the <laughs> My nine-year-old knows what a Karen is. <laughs> right. But it's that overreaching. Um, it's not even a helicopter mom. It's like a fighter pilot mom now. You know, they're in everybody's stuff. And it's so, then you wonder about self-medication. But so, okay, the parent comes in. You're telling them about the process. And... And I did ask this to somebody else. When do you see the shift happening? So that's hilarious that you ask that because like 
what we tend to see, me and Annie, it's funny because me and Annie were just talking about this last night. And like, so often, the ones that get it, I think even your son, we saw a bit of this. It seems like, like we're going, um, Ascend is 12 weeks and then continuing care. They, they continue to come to group and like, we want them doing that for at least six months. Many of them keep coming for years, at least once a month. But it can seem for like four to six weeks that there's just no movement. It's like, what's happening? Like everything just seems like, are we making any progress? And then all of a sudden, you know, when we get to that second half of the program, it's just like all of a sudden it's a totally different person. Um, yeah. We were talking about it last night because it just happened with, with somebody where like we all woke up one day and it's like, holy crap, this is this new person. And so there's no exact answer on that. You know, like, like I can't tell you it's like, well, it takes five groups and four individuals. Like, no, it takes that team to, um, I'd say into integrate in and like make that group theirs, get comfortable enough and kind of build rapport with their therapist, whether it's me, Annie, Aaron, or like for your viewers, like whoever you guys are working with, they have to have that rapport and, and trust. Mm-hmm. And then to like tie it all together is they have to look forward and believe that life could be better, even if they're not using, which is a big deal. So for example, Every time I start with anyone, adult or teen, but I think it's very impactful with teens, is I ask them like what we call the miracle question in, in therapy. But I tell them, if you woke up tomorrow and you had the perfect life, in fact, everything was so perfect and awesome that it would be worth not using to keep that life, what would that look like? And like, it's interesting because you would think teens would just be like, I want 25 girlfriends in a giant house with a boat. They tend to not. They tend to answer with like, well, you know what? I would like stability and peace of mind. It'll blow your mind. Like, it's so mature and adult. It doesn't matter, though. Whatever they answer, to me, that's the treatment point, right? So, Uh... like, not about how do I get this kid to stop using drugs. It's like, how do we work together to get you towards this life that's so awesome that you don't have to? Or that, like I said, it's so good that you would not use to keep it. Yeah. And, you know, you said something really important that they say something that's deep and reflective. The kids know, you know, they feel what peace is like. They get glimpses of it. And maybe in that moment of feeling that peace, maybe that's what they're chasing after with substances. I don't know. And chaos is at home and they can't have it. But yeah, I like the fact that you're calling out that they're reflective Well, and I think, um, I don't know, as you were talking, that had me thinking, and it's like, that probably is even what we're seeing there in that, like, week six to eight, where this shift tends to happen, is like, as they start to experience the process working, they lean into it more, you know, just getting that different perspective and going like, oh, wow, like, and some of that, I think, is like, well, and actually this is important, right? Which is like the parents and how they're showing up in the process is also huge because often when we get a new team to work with in the beginning, usually that kid's kind of in trouble. Not always, but a lot of times they are. And so they have, you know, they don't have their car keys, you know, maybe the PlayStation's put away. The worst of all, if you're a teen, the worst thing that can happen 
is the parent has taken the phone. That's, That's all. Like, oh, <laughs> judgment day. Anyways, so as they're doing the next right thing uh, and they start earning those back, it's like, oh, okay, this is working. I'm going to keep leading into this and keep doing the next right thing. And like, then what starts out as a journey to get my phone back starts turning into like all these rewards that go way above and beyond that. Because like, mm-hmm. I think what I know is that recovery brings rewards that in the beginning we can't even imagine. And like, that's different for everyone. I can't say what that's going to be for any individual, but like as an addict or a substance user starts to do the next right thing, wonderful things happen. I don't know. You know, God looks out for addicts. I don't know what to say. An alcoholic. Jesus walked with many men. Yeah. And I think it, the importance going back to the group part is that being with a community that, that does call that out the good things happening and celebrating it, that person who's in recovery. So, all right, we only have a few minutes booked. I want people to know where they can reach you, how they can get in touch with your team. So um, we are working on kind of an internet presence. We built a website and we made a Google Maps post and all that good stuff. You know, we had just been word of mouth. And to be honest, Angie, I was like scared to advertise because we were like, growing so fast and like we hadn't done any advertising so like we were a little worried but Annie came over and uh, joined the program full-time and we hired Aaron so like we have the capacity to help a whole lot of teens and families right now so uh you can find that at mcguirerecovery.com cool I'll put a link in my show notes and uh, counseling and psychotherapy is is the program we do, and I should have mentioned this because we do even more than just ascend an individual arm. We just started, well, about a year ago, we started a Thursday night, what we call mental health primary group, we call that Aspire. And Aspire began as a group, like we found that like there were young people that didn't have substance use issues, but like really would benefit from having a group, um, whether that's like depression, anxiety, or social problems like whatever it is like getting them in a group together would be helpful so we started that and that's been awesome tomorrow night will literally be our second meeting we started a young adults group so sort of short version after the uvaldi incident i realized like man these young people early 20s like keep showing up in the news over and over again and like we need to get a dialogue we need to have these kids talk like they've aged out of adolescent services yes really fit in with the adults yet we gotta start having a dialogue with them and getting them talking and stuff and so i don't even know what that's what that is yet we started the group we're doing it it's gonna evolve i always you know start any group and just say like hey group members like this is yours like what do you want to do with it so we'll see how that shakes out but um that is another thing that's available too if anyone's interested awesome awesome well i know how it's gonna go because you guys are doing great things. And I'm so excited for you. I really am. And uh, you know what? I know you changed my life. So <laughs> there you go. I'm so glad I could help. It, it's been awesome knowing you and like watching your son. I got to see him, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago when he was in town. And yeah. it was just like, oh, my God, he, he's a totally new person. And like, I don't know. It's what's amazing. And this happens all the time. It's like 
the same person, and I'm he he didn't do this, but it's the same person often that will like curse my name for like saying like I think you should go to treatment, and then they do what what he did. He did not do that, but <laughs> they come <laughs> years later and say like you know what like thanks for doing that. My life is way better. Like that is why we do this. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, anybody that does this kind of work. That's what we're in it for. When you see someone's life that's so completely transformed that they're able to say like, man, thank you for allowing me to go do the work that, that ended my struggles, you know, or self Absolutely. Struggles. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope this isn't the last uh, episode that I have with you and your team. So yeah. I'll just leave it at that. And thank you so thank much. Thank you for having and, me. All right. Thanks. <laughs>